So here's the question. What's the sacrifice factor? That's the title of today's homily. We've had the Issachar factor together. Today we end the church year with the sacrifice factor. The dictionary defines sacrifice this way. Let's put it on the screen for you. Sacrifice. It's a noun. A giving up of some cherished or desired object, person, or idea, usually for the sake of something or someone else. That's what sacrifice means. Let me read that again. A giving up of some cherished or desired object, person, or idea, usually for the sake of something or someone else. In other words, it would be no sacrifice for you and me to say we're no longer going to eat asparagus. There's no sacrifice. You don't like it. I don't like it. We don't cherish it. So give it up. I'm happy to give it up for you. But take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him on the mountain I will show you. Ladies and gentlemen, therein is sacrifice because you can only sacrifice that which is cherished and costly to you. Or else it's no sacrifice at all. Once upon a time, there was a woman who, not unlike Abraham and Isaac, inadvertently taught us the meaning of the sacrifice factor. And she did it in the shadows of Calvary. Open your Bible with me, please, to a beloved story. It's been a while since you've read it, so pull your Bible out. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. We're going to the Gospel of John, John chapter 12. And if you... Need the page number for the Pew Bible, that would be page 724 for our homily today. Let's go back to this beloved story. I just love this story. The sacrifice factor, it's all here. John chapter 12, verse 1, six days, uh, by the way, this is the today's New International Version. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus gets raised in chapter 11. So this is chapter 12 now? Yep. There. Why, why is he in Bethany? Look at verse 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Now, those of you that have the New King James, it reads, A supper was given in Jesus' honor. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome today to a supper that is being given in Jesus' honor. You've come to the right place. Alright? So, who's there at the supper? Uh, Martha served. Well, you knew that about Martha. Martha served... While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, that would be with Jesus, then Mary, she's the sibling. We don't know. She, we, we're figuring she's probably younger. Then little Mary, the sibling, here it happens in verse 3, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of... Of perfume. We just came back from uh, Europe. That's why we were on that plane to Frankfurt when the incident happened. Sometime in Italy, sometime in Switzerland. Whenever I go to Europe, I just, I just love the Europeans' preoccupation with, uh, with scents and fragrances. Those of you from Europe know that that's true about Europe. So I always find a duty-free shop when I get to an airport over in Europe. And I let Karen work the uh, women's uh, perfumes over. But I go to the shelf or the wall for men's cologne. And I pull back my sleeves and I start, oh, I love that one. I find every possible bare patch of skin that I can use to try every, dis those display bottles are there for that reason. You didn't know that. But it's to spray on. By the time I'm through, I, I, I'm smelling like an explosion in a perfume factory. But I got to tell you, for a guy who shops at Walmart, when you hear the names Versace and Ralph Lauren and Jean Richemont, 
You're glad to just do a little spray. I never buy. I just spray. But you know what? It lasts all the way home. I smell good till I get home. All over. Mary has just snapped this long, thin neck of the white, fine-grained gypsum vase. Filled with, as the NIV puts it, pure nard. Some of your translations read spike nard. Same. It's the same. It's a fragrance, by the way, I was amazed to discover this week. Still extracted from the Nardostakis Jadamanis plant, which grows in the upper pasture lands of the Himalayas at elevations of 11,000 to 17,000 feet. I went online. That's where I found that picture. Spikenard is a, is a pale yellow to amber liquid with a heavy, sweet, woody, and spicy odor. And if you're an older guy like me, you might remember a fragrance called Fabergé. That's been years ago. And there was, a, there was a, an element of it called wood hue. And you can almost smell the wood hue. Reminiscent of valerian ginger, cardamom, and atlas cedarwood oils. It's pungent. It's exotic. It's costly. It is very, very costly. In fact, even the Walmart shopping disciples recognize it for what it is. So what's happening in this moment? There's Mary. She comes. It's a room full of men, dominantly. She has wanted to do this. She has planned. She's emptied. She's emptied her treasury. And as unobtrusively as possible, she kneels down, breaks that neck, pours it on Jesus. Listen, you can't hide a costly perfume. In fact, that's the reason we wear it. We're hoping somebody will smell it today, right? It's not just for you. But it's not Mary tonight who smells. It is Jesus Himself, covered with the fragrance now. And guess whose sniffer speaks up first? (laughs) You got it. Watch this. Verse 4, But one of His disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Him, objected. Now, He has the decency not to do this in a loud voice, but He's got that well-calculated stage whisper working overtime right now. (laughs) What? Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Oh, by the way, verse 6, he did not say this because he cared two bits about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, Judas has absolutely no heart for the poor. I tell you what, if Mary had heeded his counsel and sold this perfume and had given the proceeds to him, the poor would have received not a single penny from the proceeds. Judas is thinking about nobody but himself. But he has the disciples snookered. And before long, they get drawn into this this murmuring stage whisper. Did you hear that? A a year's worth of wages. For what purpose? So great a waste. That's how the synoptics put it. Why so great a waste? I used to read that story, and I've always read the story before this last week, uh, kind of from the perspective of Mary. I mean, ooh, this is embarrassing for Mary. I never thought... To read the story from the perspective of Jesus. Do you understand what the disciples are saying? He hears the stage whisper. Why was this wasted on the Master? Is what they're saying. Inadvertently, they love this man, but they are saying, why would anybody waste this kind of stuff on Jesus? As if any gift is wasted when you give it to Jesus. That's sad. They must have cut him to the quick. But then above those stage whispers 
becomes a commanding voice. And I love it. Three words Jesus speaks. And on this communion Sabbath, we would do well to let these words echo and reverberate within our own worshiping souls. Look at that, verse 7. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. It's what our consciences, our guilty consciences need to hear today. Some of us have lived with guilt for a long time. We've asked God to forgive us, but somehow that nagging guilt, psychology being the way it is, it stays. I know the promise says I'm forgiven when I ask, but the guilt stays. What's up? I must not be forgiven. We need to hear the voice of the master, the defender of the inner, the defender of the helpless. We need to hear the Lord Jesus Christ say to our guilty conscience, leave him alone. He's had enough of torture. Tortured memories, leave her alone. Drop it. Let her begin again. Leave her alone. We all have our Judas accusers, trust me. Some are human. One is diabolical. He is no different. His name means Satan, the accuser. He needs to hear the command. Leave him alone. Enough. I love that of Jesus. How's it go? Verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended, he went on, that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Listen, you'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Listen to Desire of Ages depict what this moment means for Mary. I'll put the words on the screen for you. Mary had, had been looked upon as a great sinner. But Christ knew the circumstances that had shaped her life. He might have extinguished every spark of hope in her soul, but He did not. It was He who had lifted her from despair and ruin. Now listen to this. Seven times she had heard His rebuke of the demons that controlled her heart and mind. She's Mary Magdalene. That's who had the demons seven times cast out of her. She had heard His strong cries to the Father in her behalf. She knew how offensive His sin to His unsullied purity. And in His strength, she had overcome at last. The One who had fallen and whose mind had been an habitation of demons was brought very near to the Savior in fellowship and ministry. End quote. Ladies and gentlemen, the Mary, the Mary who is now weeping at the feet of Jesus is the same Mary who sat at, that, at those feet when Martha grumbled from the kitchen, Get this girl back here to help me, Lord. Same Mary. This is the, the Mary who poured that Himalayan spike nard on Jesus' feet is the Mary Magdalene from whom He cast seven times the tormenting demons of her life. This is the same Mary who stood with Jesus' mother for those six torturous hours agonizing at the foot of the cross. This is the Mary. This is the leave it alone, leave her alone Mary who is the first, get this, who is the first, who is granted by heaven. Lest you think that because of your sin, your life is no longer useful to the kingdom. This is the Mary who is granted the privilege of being the first human being to announce the resurrected Christ. Apparently, when Christ forgives us, that forgiveness is not only about pardon, it is about transformation. Something gets changed in me. Let me give you one more line from that page in Desire of Ages. Put it on the screen for you. Jesus knows the circumstances of every soul. You may say, I'm, I am sinful, very sinful. Yes, you are, by the way. So are we all. 
You may be, the author is gracious, you may be what you feel you are. But the worse you are, the more you need Jesus. He turns no weeping contrite one away. And now when I was reading this in Desire of Ages this last week, brooding over this story, when I came to this next line, tears burst to my eyes. I could not believe this. Look at that next line. He does not tell to any all that he might reveal. Do you understand what that means? There's stuff about me he won't even tell me. Because a, a bruised reed I will not crush. You're already down, boy. I'm not going to tell you this. There is stuff about you that he knows. You don't even know it, but he knows it. But I'm not going to tell you because this would wound you. This would hurt you. This would impede you. This would, this would shut you down. It is an act of mercy and grace that the God who knows everything there is humanly to know, divinely to know about you and me, doesn't tell us what He knows. Isn't that great? Wow, what a God. He does not tell to any all that He might reveal, but He bids every trembling soul, you and me, to take courage. Freely He will pardon all who come to Him for forgiveness and restoration. By the way, not just forgiveness, but also restoration. The two go together. Such is the fragrance that spews from the broken alabaster box of Christ's sacrifice on Calvary. And in that fragrance, wafting through the supper time room now, take a deep breath. Can you smell the fragrance? In that fragrance, we witness the two halves to the sacrifice factor. You know both halves. Let me just refresh your memory. Half number one, God's costly sacrifice for us. You see, the whole, the, 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 the whole reality behind the story is that God is the one who broke the alabaster box. Not a year's worth of wages. He has been accumulating wages for an eternity. He took everything, everything he had. In fact, let me put this on the screen. Desire of ages, just one sentence. If you remember nothing else, remember this sentence. In the gift of Jesus, God gave all heaven. There's nothing more. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing more God can give that he hasn't already given for you and me. Everything's been given. There's not a penny. The bank is empty. He's given everything. And by the way, I sometimes wonder if the angels in heaven, they're a little more, obviously their hearts are bright. But I sometimes wonder if the angels in heaven don't sometimes murmur the very same words of the disciples. For what purpose was this great waste? Look at this race. Everything we've done for that man. Everything we have done for that woman. And it ends like this. What is the purpose of the waste of Calvary? I wouldn't be surprised if maybe even the angels wonder. Why? For God to sacrifice all of heaven in the gift of Jesus is beyond comprehension forever and ever. Amen. So let us bow today in the remainder of this worship and let us, let us adore Him who's given everything He has. He's given His entire kingdom for you and me. Not half the kingdom, all the kingdom to save you and me. Let us bow down in creation today. There are two halves to this. Okay, the first half we understand God's costly sacrifice for us. The second half is like unto it. Our costly sacrifice for God. Ours. That, that, that half is essential to the sacrifice factor. 
Remember the definition of uh, sacrifice we put on the screen? What is sacrifice? Giving up that which is cherished and costly for something or someone else. And by the way, Mary could have settled for a common ointment. Come on, they had it all over Palestine. So a little bit of olive oil and a flask. You dump in some aromatic uh, crumbs and that's it. But instead, Mary accumulates the wages of an entire year, the equivalent, and empties her treasury to the last penny to purchase an astronomically expensive perfume from high up in the mountains of northern India. And she pours it on the feet of Jesus. She liquidates her sacrifice in one fell swoop. So how much do you make in a year? Hmm? I want you to do the arithmetic right now. Come on, come on, come on. Do the arithmetic. You know how much you make? Give me the numbers. No, don't give them to me. I don't want to know. Just do it. Come on. Whatever you get in a month, multiply it by 12. If, are you a retiree? Then take your fixed income and multiply it by 12. What do you get a month as a retiree? Social Security, a little bit of pension. What is it? Are you a teenager working in the summer? You're going to school, but you get, you're working this summer? Just give me the numbers. What are the numbers you will earn this summer? Here's the question. Mary gave an entire year's worth of wages for the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you, would I, I'm doing the arithmetic, would we be willing to give an entire year of our wages, lock, stock, and barrel to Jesus and say, you can have it right now. It's all yours. We're talking sacrifice. There isn't a a one of us here that would jump up and say, I'll do it right now. I've got to live. I mean, please. Sacrifice. We're always thinking of it in God's context, and that is good. But you've got to flip the coin over. The sacrifice factor has to do with you and me as well. And by the way, we are moved by the immensity. Are we not of God's sacrifice? Aren't we moved by it? Oh, please. The reverse has to be just as true. God must be moved by the reciprocal spontaneity of our willingness to sacrifice deeply for Him. You think about it. In a room filled with self-absorbed men preoccupied with their own careers and eventual places in the pecking order of the kingdom. Don't you suppose it was a heart-tugging, heart-tugging, heart-touching affirmation for Jesus to realize that the woman has just covered His feet with a year's worth of wages. And everybody here is fighting to be number one. Don't you suppose the heart of Jesus jumped at the gift of Mary? He's about to die. And everybody's thinking of of himself. How it must have hurt Jesus to hear his disciples say, What a waste. Giving it to Jesus. The sacrifice factor. Ladies and gentlemen, as I have meditated on the sacrifice factor from Mary's perspective, I have not been able to shut out the voice of Christ who says to me, Go thou and do likewise. I'm asking you to sacrifice. I don't tell you what the sacrifice is. You know. Go do it. Go do it. And by the way, these words really struck me. You will not always have me. You've got to do it now. You will not always have me. You will not always have you. Do it now. Give me that. Sacrifice for me. Let me have it. I received an email earlier this month from a a retired chair of a university music department somewhere in this nation. It's a Baptist university. 
He's been watching on television and he's been going to the web to listen to the podcast. And he wrote me a letter. As I watched your recent series, Four Secrets for Surviving the Coming Economic Earthquake, I couldn't help but think of the words of Isaac Watts in his majestic hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. You should have used it in that series, he said. He's right. So I thought about that. You want to talk about sacrifice? You want to talk about responding to the immensity of God's gift? Wow. There's the sacrifice factor in one hymn. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer. How does that go? I'll put the words on the screen for you. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain, I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Last stanza were the whole realm of nature mine. That were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands, demands my soul, my life, my all. You know why, ladies and gentlemen? Because the sacrifice of the giver is what ignites the sacrifice of the receiver. Freely you have received, then freely give. Two halves. As we remember the first half today, may we hear his call for the second half at the table of this supper in honor of Christ. I want to sing those words with you. I'm going to sing just the first and the last stanzas of this. Just the first and the last stanzas. So... Up in the control room, just put the uh, stanzas that you just had on the screen. We'll use those again, please. You won't need to open your hymnal. Just look at these two stanzas. Let us sing both halves of the sacrifice factor, the first and the last stanzas of this glorious hymn.
Oh, Father, we had to stand to our feet. How could we sit in offering You everything we have? The sacrifice factor. There's nothing left in heaven to give. It's all been given. What do You want from us? As we come now to the table for the supper in honor of Jesus, You tell us. But draw from our hearts a spirit of deep and humble gratitude forever and ever. Your love demands it. Demands our soul, our life, and our all. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.